We'll be in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to mainly focus on verses 31 and 32, but we'll start reading from back in uh, verse 20, uh, 28. Um, this is a section of, of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and he's, he's telling them about what it looks like for the gospel to be lived out in community. And he gives various different aspects of that just after this. It talks about fathers and children. Uh, but this drops us down in the middle of a section where it's talking about how the gospel is lived out uh, in a marriage relationship. And there's things he said to wives, and now he's saying some things to husbands. Um, we're mainly just going to be drawing out uh, some of these things from uh, verses 31 and 32. Um, so, uh, so please hear God's word, um, beginning in verse 28 of Ephesians chapter 5. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see uh, that she respects her husband. <clears throat> scripture says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We definitely live in a very uh, sex-saturated uh, culture, right? You can't walk along uh, very far on the campus before there's uh, something sexual one way or the other, whether that's just things you're walking by or advertisements or billboards or uh, checking email or surfing through the internet, uh, things that you find on TV. And there's, there's all kind of things that I've found that talk about sex. Whether they're sexually related or not, they still, they still talk about sex, right? So there's, um, I always think of the, uh, I was the Herbal Essences uh, shampoo, Right, and it's got the commercial where she's like moaning as the uh, shampoo is being put on her head, and it's a it's an organic experience, right? For uh, like, oh, shampoo is gonna be great. I've got to get this. Um, I was walking out of uh, I was walking out of Publix the other day, uh, and I look over, and this uh, this little van is uh, is coming over, and on the front of it it says uh, stripper on duty. It's like really. And of course, it comes by. It's a it's a furniture stripper, you know, that's out there. I'm like, okay, at least it's at least it's that. But you're like, so we're connecting uh, sex with like highly toxic chemicals that will like rip layers of things off of uh, a piece of furniture. Like, I'm not sure this is a good uh, connection. Um, I was uh, I was trying to find uh, in the. I guess Will brought me up this issue of FSU, but apparently I was looking at the, the last one. Um, I meant to bring it with me. But, but if you notice on the back page on the sports section um, uh, of this past FSU, there was, a, there was an article about FSU football, the sexy, the fine, and the eh. Right. I, think y'all saw it. I don't know if you read the FSB, but I was like, oh, this would be fun. Uh, so I'm looking through, and it's like the sexy. It's talking about FSU football. The sexy, right? It's like, you know, you've, when you meet that, uh, that guy or girl who's the perfect 10, and they immediately grab your attention and they never let it go. And you wake up the next day and you're still thinking about them, right? That, that perfect 10. And he goes, that was FSU's running game on Saturday. The perfect 10. You wake up still thinking about them. I'm like, okay, I'm as much of a Noel fan as the next guy. I'm excited for the running game. But, um, but if you're getting sexually aroused by some old football, we, <laughs> we might have gone a little too far, right? <laughs> Um, I, I know the point that he's trying to make. But here's the question I want us to ask uh, tonight, and it's kind of as we're approaching this, uh, this question. 
What does sex mean? Well, if we see it in shampoos and upshoot football and all this, what does sex mean? What's the meaning of sex, right? Um, now, a couple of assumptions. I'm assuming that y'all have all had the, uh, the talk about the birds and the bees, right? That, uh, that awkward moment where your parents set you down, uh, explain the reproductive system, or the, uh, the really awkward health class um, where your, gym, where your, your coach <laughs> uh, is out there explaining to you these things. Right? I'm, I'm assuming all that's covered, right? We're in college. Uh, uh, things are fine. Um, I'm also assuming that you're coming from a lot of different places, right, and a lot of different uh, experiences. Uh, some of, uh, I'm sure that some of you are far more uh, sexually experienced than others. Some of you uh, would, would describe yourself as much more inexperienced sexually. That's great. I don't want to isolate uh, either side of it. Scripture's actually talking to, to all of us uh, here. Uh, some of you are uh, waiting for sex until you're married. Some of you are having sex uh, now. And, and Scripture's speaking to you. I want us to ask, what's the meaning of sex? Because I think uh, we're still, all of us still have this longing to understand, experience the meaning of sex. Um, I think sometimes we can say that maybe there's such a thing as, uh, as meaningless sex, or that people would sometimes describe as meaningless sex. Um, maybe that's after a... Uh, <coughs> Uh, a relationship or, or kind of the emptiness that you might feel after having sex with someone that you didn't really love um, or weren't really committed to or maybe didn't really know. Um, this is the time when you kind of sneak out afterwards in the night, right? But there's a certain sense of like, okay, there's something lacking uh, there. Maybe, maybe after a breakup and experiencing some of the uh, just brokenness, uh, pain, hurt, the anger, and the grief after a breakup of a previously sexual relationship, and there's just a deep level of hurt. Um, and all of a sudden, some things feel like what seemed to have meaning, now it feels like it maybe it was meaningless. Um, maybe it's just the, uh, uh, the loneliness after masturbation, or the letdown of pornography that, uh, that takes you nowhere. Um, or the shampoo just doesn't do it for you, right? <laughs> um, but somehow you, you have this experience where you feel like you've missed the meaning, or the experience that you had fell short of the full meaningfulness that you'd long for, uh, that you'd hope for. Um, well, the Bible uh, tells us the meaning of sex. Um, and, and I know you're, you're not supposed to, like, talk about the Bible and talk about the sex in the same, same sentence, right? Because the Bible's holy and inspired, and sex we kind of think belongs in a dark closet or something. You know, you're not supposed to uh, <laughs> talk about it very much. Uh, but, but the Bible talks about sex. Here's, here's a little secret. Um, do you know who came up with the, with the idea of sex? Uh, of great, incredible, mind-blowing, fulfilling, satisfying sex. Do you know whose idea that was? Um, yeah, that was God's idea. Right? This, this is how the Bible talks. This is how he designed this. This is what he made us for. Adam and Eve. Uh, coming to, <clears throat> another secret. Adam and Eve had sex. <laughs> in the Bible multiple times, <laughs> right? They have, they have several different children. You, know, you read through the Bible and you get to those like long genealogies and you're like, oh, what, a, what do I do with this? All those people were having, you know how those things happen, right? You know how that got there. It's a little more exciting when you think about it that way. <clears throat> um, really, the Bible talks a lot about sex. Uh, talks about sex as being good. Talks about bad aspects of things. Uh, talks about struggles uh, with it. Talks about our needs, some of our desires and, and hopes and, and all these different things. Um, and what the Bible says is that sex means something about Jesus. Now, I know you don't believe me right now. 
And I don't, I don't expect any of you to be with me uh, already. But, but the Bible says something about sex. It uh, says that sex means something about Jesus. And I hope that by the, this is why we're looking at this passage tonight. Um, that's why we're looking at this topic uh, this semester. And hopefully by the, by the end of the night, uh, whether you agree with me or not, you'll at least see, you'll at least see why I'm saying this. Uh, that when we look at how the Bible talks about things, it's telling us that sex is actually about uh, Jesus. It's telling us about the gospel. Um, uh, so hopefully we'll see, see some of that. Two different sides I want us to look at as we just kind of go through the passage, right? I'm not trying to just say a whole bunch. I'm, I'm trying to show you what things, does, these verses that we're looking at right here, how does the Bible talk about it? Um, so first way we're going to talk about it is the general meaning um, and then secondly, we'll come back around and talk about the greater meaning of it. <clears throat> uh, so first, just the, just the general meaning. Just look at, uh, just looking at verses 31 and 32. Uh, you see this phrase there. Uh, Two become one. Uh, Therefore, it's going to, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two uh, shall become one. They shall become one a flesh. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about the general meaning of it in relation to this two become one flesh because that phrase is primarily a sexual phrase. Um, it's primarily a sexual uh, image. <clears throat> you can picture it if you need to. You know, maybe be careful with that. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Shakespeare maybe used a little bit more crass expression. Uh, talk about it as the beast with two backs. Um, yeah, the two becoming one flesh. That's the this is the idea of it here. Um, now, uh, you can look over at uh, 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16, because if you're looking at it and you're going, okay, this guy's saying that it's about sex, but I don't I mean, it mean a lot of things to become one flesh. <clears throat> All right, you, I've got it printed out for you there. You can flip over and see more of the context uh, in, in your Bible. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is speaking uh, to them in the context as he's telling them uh, to, to flee sexual immorality, right, in the Context in Corinth, very religious city, uh, but the, uh, the religions of those days, one of the things they would have is uh, prostitutes in the temple. And part of being a good citizen or a good religious person was going up to the temple and sleeping with a temple prostitute. Uh, so he's encouraging them uh, away from this and calling them to Christ, to his church. Um, and then he says this in verse 16. He says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her for... And he quotes the same verse that our pastor quoted. For, as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Right? He's joined to a prostitute. You become one body with her. Now, I mean, just to be clear, right? He's, uh, the person he's talking to is not going to be marrying the prostitute, right? They're not developing some deep, committed relationship. Probably never uh, see, uh, they're not entwining their lives together. They'll probably never see that person again. If we can put it this way, it was, it was sex. It was just sex that was going on there, right? Visiting a prostitute. And this quote about the two become one flesh still applies to it. When he's given his rationale, he says, okay, if you visit this prostitute, you are joined as one body with her. And he says, for the reason why is because what we've already seen in Scripture, that the two will become one flesh. The context is just sexual, and the quote still applies. It's a sexual phrase. It's a sexual uh, image of two becoming uh, one (coughs) Uh, one, one flesh, one together. Um, it's primarily a sexual phrase. That's the first thing I, I want you to see. Um, uh, it's not merely a sexual phrase. There's more things that go along uh, with it as we look at some of the rest of the context. Um, right, it says that he's holding fast to his wife, a man leaving his father and mother. It's a, there's a marital component 
uh, to the phrase and how it's being used uh, in the context. There's a leaving father and mother and going and becoming a one new entity with another person uh, through the sexual uh, relationship. Uh, it's, it's a marital aspect. The, the original statement that 1 Corinthians 6 and our passage are quoting both come from Genesis chapter 2. Uh, and it's right after God's made Eve. It says that he fashioned Eve out of the, one of Adam's ribs when Adam was in a deep sleep. And then after Adam's awake, he brings Eve uh, to Adam. And Adam sees her. Uh, the first thing he says is, at last. Right, this is what he's been longing for, uh, this companionship, uh, this, this person. And he's looking at her and he's seeing her. And he exclaims in poetry uh, in praise of her. Uh, and then right after that, the next thing is, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined, uh, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. <clears throat> a sex is designed as the, as, the perf- as the physical expression of a perfect fittedness. That's what Adam was uh, looking for. A companion, uh, a companion in a committed relationship. And so it always comes up in Scripture in this uh, context, uh, that you see in this context of marriage. Jesus uh, quotes the same phrase from Genesis in Matthew 19. People are asking him, can, can someone just divorce their wife for any reason? And Jesus says, you know what's been said uh, from, from Moses? Um, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become a one. And then he says, uh, you've maybe heard this at a wedding, Whatever, what, what so uh, God has joined together, let no one separate. Uh, right, that, that God is actually joining these two in one, a new entity uh, in marriage that shouldn't be separated, uh, that should never be divided or torn apart, divorced or other things. So it's a primarily sexual image, uh, but it has a marital component the way it's talked about in the context of Scripture. Uh, but also, it's a particularly, uh, uh, it's a deeply relational expression. Uh, right? I think all of us, all of us long for community. Uh, we long for companionship. Long for someone that knows us and understands us, that we get and we have something. To, you know, if you're excited about something, if, if the Knowles score a touchdown and there's no one else around, and you're just like, yeah, it'd be like not as much fun, right? When there's a stadium of 80,000 people, then there's the companion. Right, we're, we're with it together. Um, it, it's lonely to be by yourself. If, if all, you've got to go down to the cafeteria and eat lunch, and like you don't know who you're going to eat lunch with, right? Like, I was always afraid of that. I was like, I've got to find someone else because I'm too insecure to eat by myself. Hopefully they're not like me. Um, But we we need connection with one another. We we long for that commonality. Um, So this this thought of two becoming, uh, being joined together in one uh, should strike us as a beautiful expression. uh, That there's there's no more loneliness. uh, That everything uh, that they're experiencing is something they're experiencing together, shared, uh, commonality, community, uh, fitness, companionship uh, with it. It's a sexual but also a deeply relational uh, oneness that's being described, uh, emotionally uh, connected, uh, spiritually connected, mentally uh, connected. And when we're uh, able to be experiencing all those uh, sides of things uh, as well, that's when uh, uh, it's great when sex gets to be the physical culmination of all of that connectedness where you know one another, you're with one another, you know the person cares about you and you care about them, you understand the way they work, and then this gets to be uh, the physical expression that culminates uh, all of that uh, joy and love for one another. Um, it's, uh, <clears throat> uh, it's, it, it's expressing this whole-souled, whole-self uh, connection. Um, I know the movie Jerry Maguire is like way old and 
Most of y'all have not seen the movie or know anything about it. But, but there's this phrase from the movie back when it came out uh, that where there's a scene where uh, um, uh, Tom Cruise, can you come up with Tom Cruise's name? Where Tom Cruise uh, walks into the room uh, after all the suspense and he looks at Renee Zellweger's character and he says, you complete me. Right, and this was back when the movie came out. This would like make all the women swoon, They're like, "Oh, you complete me!" It's like I wish I had someone that would say that uh, to me. Right, um, <clears throat> it's a way that that kind of resonates uh, to to be able to say, "I would feel that I am incomplete apart from you, apart from your love, uh, apart from your understanding, your respect, your generosity, your talents, your your perspective. It's you that make me whole. That you make me feel uh, completely one. That that." that that I was always lacking until I met you. And now everything seems right. It's what we, what we long for. It's the type of uh, unity this phrase is expressing. Right? That's the reason things like compatibility tests exist, right? Um, because, I mean, at least not always. You're, you're not always uh, trying to just find a, a guy or girl hot enough to go to bed with. Uh, but, you're, but you're looking for someone, you're hoping, uh, at least at times, that, you, that there can be someone who you're intimately uh, intertwined with and connected uh, to someone else that's your perfect match. Uh, that's the way uh, Scripture's looking at it. We have this desire uh, of the two becoming one uh, relationally. It gets to be expressed in every aspect. Um, now, listen, you can't really, just like you can't describe, well, what sex was like or, or how it went, uh, Paul says it's a mystery, right? Uh, I'm not able to uh, describe it. He says this mystery is profound. It's a great mystery. Um, there's a lot of things I'm not mentioning here that we, uh, but I want you to get the basic idea of the general meaning uh, of sex and of this expression, to become one flesh. And it's primarily a sexual expression. Uh, it's partially a marital component. It's a deeply relational uh, meaning. But he says it's a mystery. Uh, it's, it's more profound. There's a fuller meaning to it. So we're going to look at two parts of it. Here comes the second part. The first part was just the general meaning of the phrase, to become one flesh. Um, but then it goes on, and we want to look at the greater meaning of it. Um, there's, there's, more, uh, there's more to sex than just what goes on in a couple's bedroom or, or wherever they, they happen to be. Um, uh, Paul is saying that the, that the phrase refers to something more, to something greater, uh, to something better, something better than, a, than, uh, than incredibly satisfying, amazing, great sex. That it, there's actually something more than that because that, that experience itself is pointing to something that's completely uh, wonderful. Um, he says, after talking about this sexual expression, two become one flesh. You know, look at it there, verse 31. The two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ, to Christ uh, in the church. Um, right? Sex, it's about Jesus. This is how the passage is talking about it. It's about the oneness of Christ uh, with the church, of Jesus with his people, with his bride, who even calls uh, his, his body in light of this oneness. Uh, sex is a picture of the beautiful redemption uh, by Christ for sinners. He draws us into his love. Uh, sex is about Jesus' sacrificial love for his people, his church, uh, his bride, uh, in, in the glorious bliss of perfection that he promises and draws us into, um, that we will enjoy uh, for eternity. 
Uh, he's saying that, that sex, in, in all of its best forms, is actually pointing toward uh, what's most fulfilling, most satisfying uh, to us, uh, that Jesus uh, brings and his love uh, for sinners. So the Bible, the Bible, right, what we're looking at here, the Bible says sex is about Jesus, right? Uh, you don't have to agree with that statement yet or not. I'll go into it a little bit more. But, but do you see that? Do you see the, the way the Bible's talking about it, the way Paul's talking about it here in Ephesians 5, that he's saying that sex is about Jesus? You with me? Follow I can at least like make that much of a point there. I can move forward. Because I've, I've got these signs like up around campus and in the dorm and we're seeing sex and Jesus like, what's going on? <laughs> it's what the Bible says. <laughs> Um, sex, sex is about uh, Jesus, um, and, and yeah, yes, I know that weirds you out a little bit, right? Because <laughs> like, you're like, wait, does that mean if I'm thinking about sex that Jesus is coming into the picture? Like, what do I do with that, right? <laughs> um, it weirds you out a little bit, but listen, sex has always had uh, this deeper, this greater meaning. That was God's idea, right? It's how he, he's put things together, um, so sex, even wonderful, um, uh, mind-blowing, satisfying uh, sex, uh, in, in a sense, uh, pales in comparison to Christ and the church. Uh, or maybe better put is the, the, how wonderful that is, is just giving you a taste, a beautiful taste of something better and fuller of this to come and it lasts forever, uh, of the full satisfaction that's offered uh, in the gospel. That's the way uh, scripture talks about it. Um, or have you ever uh, looked in the mirror and just felt uh, like you decided whether to go out today or tonight or go to class or whatever it is, and you're just kind of looking in the mirror and you're going like, how do I look today, right? And Am I attractive today? Or am I attractive enough uh, today? Um, and, uh, and maybe even sometimes we look at things and we start wondering like, okay, I know what I think I look like, but what do other people think of me or think of how I look? And <clears throat> What if other people think I'm ugly and they're looking at this feature or that feature that is a little bit odd as I stare at it, right? Um, am I the only one that does that? Okay, <laughs> on my face now, I think I'm ugly. Um, I think all of us, to a certain extent, uh, we, we, we go through, we ask, we wonder what other people think of us. And we, sometimes you can't help it when you're confronted constantly with um, uh, whether it's photoshopped images or plastic surgery that's changed the way everything uh, looks. And, and you kind of wonder, is my, is my face too long? Is, my, uh, is it too round? Is my hair too bright? Is it too dull? Is it the wrong color? That a different color would actually uh, look better on me. Um, guys, maybe you wonder if your muscles are too, uh, are too small or your features are ill-defined. Or ladies, if your hips are too wide or whatever different things. Are you too, so- too tall or too short or, or too kind of in between? <clears throat> right? We kind of go with all these things. Uh, and it, it can hurt to just imagine what other people think of you if we start to get that critical sense on it. Um, and and all right, we've, we've all had that, uh, that crush, Right? Uh, that, you, that you've liked someone, that crush on someone who is just like way out of your league, um, but they're awesome, and so you're like hoping they'll talk to you, or that you, or it was like a uh, you know, movie star or celebrity, and you're like, but if I, I would marry them if I ever saw them, or you know, um, guys, you probably haven't said that, but you've probably heard some of your from your uh, lady friends say that um, you've thought different aspects of that uh, same expression. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're following along with me, okay? <laughs> All right, but you've had that crush on someone who is just way uh, out of your league. The, the girl who's amazing, and she's uh, beautiful, and she's nice. 
she's also just like kind to everyone and, and impressive and has a lot of skills. And she's, she's like a total 10, uh, not like a football. She's a total 10. Uh, and, and you're thinking like, but maybe I'm like a three. Right? You're like, wow, this is well, Or the guy, uh, ladies, that you, that you met that just seems like so good looking, so handsome and charming and says the right things. And he's like encouraging. And he's actually a quality guy. Like, he's nice to other people, and he's doing things uh, for you, not kind of your average Joe. Uh, but you'll feel like, is he ever going to notice me? Um, uh, when, would you ever have a chance uh, with him? All right. I always to, to say this to bring this out, connect the, to connect the illustration. Uh, Jesus, way out of our league. Okay? Jesus, way, way, way beyond our, our reach, right? Let's talk about the people of God, that the church, Christians, uh, are never going to attract uh, Christ. I mean, maybe you know many Christians, maybe you don't. And if you know very many Christians, I mean, some of them are awesome people, some of them are amazing people. Um, and they've got a whole lot of issues, right? And there's all kinds of things that come out of their mouth and the things they say and the things that they do that you don't even find attractive, right? You're like, does Jesus find these people attractive? Like, what's, It's not that we're so impressive, that we've done things so well that Jesus is like, oh, this is who I want to be with, right? Um, Jesus is way out of our, our league. Um, but, but Jesus takes note of us. And, 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 and uh, all right, not, not to mention to go into a little bit, not to mention that he's, he's God, right? <laughs> Way out of our league. Um, his, uh, his perfection is the definition of beauty, the way scripture talks about it. It says he dwells in inapproachable light. It talks about God's holiness or his glory, uh, that it's right for everything in the universe to worship him. That's how far out of our league, right? And he's, he's rich, right? Uh, very rich, rich beyond uh, comparison because he made the universe, and so he owns it, along with the cattle on a thousand fields, which is... Uh, another way to say a lot of money uh, is the biblical expression. Um, he's, he's got it all. Um, so why should God, why should Christ ever take interest in us? Not because we're so appealing, but Jesus wanted to love us. He wanted to take us as his bride and make us beautiful, uh, to wash us, sanctify us, and draw us to himself. If you go back a few verses uh, before the part we read in Ephesians 5, uh, that's, that's what it's saying. Um, listen, we're, we're not even as attractive as we would maybe like to imagine. Um, our, our good features that we think of, like hopefully God likes, I'm out at RUF tonight, right? This should be a good thing. Um, our good features aren't even that, that attra- like our occasional obedience, right? Or we pretty quickly think of those times we were helpful to others and welcoming or like gave someone else your notes to class when they missed or uh, being nice or that time that you really wanted to punch that guy in the face and you didn't, right? You're like, this is really good of me. I'm impressed this way. Um, even all our good features fall way short. Um, and from a biblical perspective, we have a lot of bad features. Uh, that we've not done the things that God says he wants us to, to do. Um, we've been mean to him. Uh, we've rebelled against him. We've hated him. We've denied him. We've ignored him. We've not wanted to talk to him, not be around him. We've worshipped other things instead of him. Um, so why would God and Christ have any interest in us? Uh, the Bible says our wrongs actually offend God, that he hates them. Our best deeds are filthy rags. Uh, we're about as appealing as the, as the old hag, right? The, the fat old hag with, uh, 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 with uh, hair and warts and sores and deformed. And, uh, there's, there's no way that we would deserve God love. Maybe that's taking too far. There's no, there's no way that we, uh, that we deserve Christ's love. But here's the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus loves us anyway, that he cherishes us offers to bring us into his love where he's the one making us beautiful. 
um, where insecurity begins to disappear uh, because we see the way that he looks at us or the way that he speaks to us, uh, the things that he's done for us, uh, the way that he cherishes uh, cherishes us. While we were still sinners, the scripture says, hating God, Christ died for us. Um, <clears throat> that, that God has real true affection to make us beautiful and unite us to himself. Um, listen, this is uh, uh, the one way out of our league has wanted us. Uh, it's part of, the, part of the truth of the gospel, part of the message of the gospel. Um, that is describing to us in this greater meaning of what's, what's involved here. It's Christ, to become one, Christ uh, and the church uh, joined together as one in the gospel. We're in the book of Ephesians, right? There's just kind of reading a couple verses out of it. But one of the great things about Ephesians is it's always talking about union with Christ. It's part of the way that it expresses the gospel. Um, and it doesn't always talk about it sexually, right? Um, but it talks about uh, in Christ, in Christ, and with Christ again and again. All these different ways and where who we are and what defines us is who Jesus is. And how he's brought us into that relationship with one another. It's not our sins, it's, it's his obedience. Uh, it's not our ability to live, it's the things that he's done. It's not our power, but his power at uh, work in us. We're, we're raised uh, with Christ, united uh, to him. Salvation and hope are by being brought into union with Christ. Uh, this is the gospel. Uh, Ephesians 5 talks about it as a husband and bride and also kind of one body. Um, as the husband and wife are joined in one body during sex, it's saying that Christ spiritually joins the church to himself. He brings us into that kind of ecstasy of his love. That's what he's promising and giving us in part now and in fullness uh, uh, throughout his return. Um, and especially what we're joined to him in, is the way uh, Paul always talks about it, is primarily in his death and in his resurrection. I want to put it this way. Uh, it wasn't easy for Jesus to love the church. Um, it took a lot. She wasn't just like the... The one who was interested in him and so he was dating her, right? Or, or she was there and other people weren't. Uh, it took a, a lot of commitment for him. He sacrificially gave uh, himself up for her. Um, you've got like the various romance stories or even the ancient mythologies of, uh, of lovers going into death. Uh, going, walking, like uh, Orpheus, right, walks into, uh, into Hades to be able to retrieve uh, his love, uh, his bride, whatever her name was, I don't know my mythology. Um, <clears throat> or, or Princess Bride, anyone Princess Bride, right? Um, and is he, is he dead? No, no, he's, he's almost dead, right? Um, and what's, what's he saying? Is they like pumping the air in true love, right? Like what's holding him alive? Um, <clears throat> is it, the Bible is saying that Jesus walked through death for us. That he walked into Hades and experienced uh, the punishment of hell, of God's rejection of him and punishment, to be able to redeem us and bring us out of death into life and the fullness of life with him uh, forever. <clears throat> um, uh, because God loved us, uh, Jesus uh, loved us. He experienced death, went through the pains of hell to become joined to us. And as Jesus is raised uh, to life, he makes his bride uh, alive, cherishes her, provides for her, makes her uh, beautiful. So, so listen, the way the Bible is talking about it is to say that sex is actually giving us a picture of what God's been doing in, in all history. All, all the way through from the beginning of creating people through to the end, uh, sex is giving us a picture of that, of God uh, drawing us into his love, redeeming us, uh, making us beautiful, and, and letting us experience bliss with him uh, for eternity. 
Um, he's set his love on us, determined to have a relationship with us. And what did we do? We ran. Uh, we rebelled. We didn't want anything of it. We hated uh, him. We became ugly or dead in some ways. The scripture talks about us, and yet God still uh, draw, drew us to himself. Christ, by the Spirit, unites us uh, to his new life and pours out love uh, and affection on us. Um, Listen, this is the kind of relationship that we long for, right? Whether you think of that as like a gospel relationship or Jesus or whatever, that's the kind of, that's the kind of love you want to experience. Someone that will go through anything for you that isn't like, oh, are you good enough for them, but, but sees, uh, sees you, loves you, chooses you, wants you, comes to you and gives up anything for you and cherishes you and takes care of you and perfect uh, intimacy and completeness and fullness and joy in their love. That's what we're like hoping for, dreaming of. Um, uh, this is the relationship that we long for that satisfies, that fulfills. Uh, the, it's, it's what the euphoria of great sex is pointing toward. Uh, to be fully united and intertwined with the glorious, uh, resurrected Lord of the universe, uh, receiving his delight spiritually now and waiting for the fullness of it uh, with Christ's return. It's all uh, for his love. It's not something that we earn, uh, but we freely receive because it's, it's freely offered. He calls us out to come to him. Uh, the way the Bible talks about it, uh, if you're following me with this, is, is all the things that we long for uh, in sex points toward a greater longing for Christ's love uh, and sacrifice for us and eternal bliss with him. Not that we don't also long for sex, but that all those things are pointing to that greater fulfillment of it. So, <laughs> sex is about Jesus. Right, that's, what I, that's what I hope that you're seeing now. A Christ, a union with the church. Uh, maybe now you believe me. Maybe you still don't agree with me. That's fine. I hope that at least uh, you can see that the Bible says that sex is about Jesus. I hope you'll consider it more uh, to see the beauty, the depth, uh, the riches, uh, and how freely Christ's love uh, is uh, and his offer to us, what he gives and what we long for. And I hope that you'll think about sex. <laughs> I hope that you'll think about sex a lot uh, and often. And right when the culture where you're bombarded by sex, whether it actually relates to it or not, uh, that's constantly, right? The old statistic guys are thinking about sex every seven seconds anyway, right? So awesome. That makes my job easier because now every time you're thinking about sex, you're realizing, oh, sex is about Jesus. Um, <clears throat> so I've got you. This is how God has, has designed us uh, wonderfully, constantly longing uh, for Jesus.